the only name that sickness leaves the body it's the only name that can put marriages back together not, not, not necessarily a psychiatrist, psychologist or licensed marriage and family counselor or therapist they might be the mean or medium God uses to help a couple but it's still the name of Jesus the name of Jesus is the only one that can sit at the bedside of a dying loved one and bring about a peace that surpasses all human understanding even in the midst of chaos and trouble. I've said it so many times before, there is nothing more precious than to watch a saint that is ready to go home teleport from this life to the other side of glory because there's just something about a peace that enters into that room. And yes, our hearts are sad, but man, you can feel the presence of the Lord in that room. So it can cast out demons, it can heal sickness, it can bring about peace in the midst of turmoil and chaos it can put marriages and homes back together it can restore the year that the canker worm and the lotus worm is stolen from us it's the name that we teach our kids to pray when they're scared at night in their bed last night obviously I had to be out so I had to leave in a hurry so Brianna got tried by fire with a five-year-old right off the bat. <laughs> and I 
and said, I, I love you, I love him, but y'all are on your own. I got to go. For the last five years, I have done my best to teach Micah how to say bedtime prayers. We don't always get it right. And you may be seated from the presence of the Lord for a moment. Thank you, guys. We're getting the message. You can go back to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we're going to be there. Tanner, you can put that up. We're gonna, I'm just going to segue right into that on the screen. I'm not making announcements today. We're going to roll. I feel the Lord here, and I want to share what he has today. But I've tried to do my best to uh, teach him how to pray or the importance of prayer. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes I'll say it, and it just loses translation somewhere. But anytime he was scared or anything like that, I would say, Michael, all you got to do is, is just, you can call Daddy, and Daddy will come to the room on the monitor. You know, you can always call on Jesus, even if Daddy doesn't hear you on the monitor, and you're going to be all right. So last night, I left. Brianna finished getting him ready for bed. They go to do their prayers. She told me this at 5 o'clock this morning, by the way. We had this wonderful heart-to-heart at 5 a.m. I was like, we could talk about this tomorrow. Like, you know. <laughs> she said, uh, she said, well, I have a confession to make. I'm like, oh, what, what, what could have went wrong? Like, what, what did it wrong? And she's like, well, I think Micah's a little upset with me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what happened? She said, well, I didn't say his prayers right. And I said, what do you mean you didn't say your prayers right? She said, we were praying. We were saying the line that you always say with him, whatever, and he stopped me in the middle of prayer and said, that is not how that goes. <laughs> and I said, so what'd you do? She said, I said, well, then you lead it. He said, no, no, I'll say it. You repeat it because you don't know it. Because <laughs> the line we say every night before we go to bed is, dear Jesus, if I've done anything wrong, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. That's our closing prayer every night like clockwork it's so ingrained I find myself laying in my bed saying that line I'm like I, that's, that's Micah's prayer I, I need a different one than this one now you know for some people stories like that may not mean anything to you and you may not care you're like okay yeah that, what is the point of that when you're laying in that bed at 520 this morning and your wife goes back to sleep like you didn't exist and she gave you this heart to heart and then goes snoring how, how well that thank you it was good seeing you too glad we could spend this time together you lay there, and you think about the faith of a five-year-old. I know it sounds funny. That's not right. But he knew it wasn't right. Even though the jest, Miss Brianna had it right, but even in his little five-year-old mentality, he knew that's not how this prayer is supposed to go. Boy, you know how much we could learn from a five-year-old. She said it. I didn't. Now I got here this morning, I looked at the set list, and I remembered what we picked. And I was sitting there, and we were just singing that song, Say the Name. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful and powerful and beautiful? And then in the Say the Name. I thought about me laying in that bed last night thinking about a five-year-old realized, that's not right, that's not how that's supposed to go. Do you realize if we had the prayer life and faith of a five-year-old, what we could do for the kingdom of heaven and against the kingdom of darkness? Because he fully believes 100%. He was like, I don't care who you are. You can be, I don't care how old you are, Miss Brandon. You don't have that prayer right. You know, that's not how that goes. Sometimes I wish that people had that childlike faith again. When they came to God, it didn't have to be with some PhD of words, but they came to God with childlike innocence and said, God, something's just not right here. This is not fair what 
Jordy's dad's going through. It's not fair what Sister Barnes' brother's having to deal with. It's not fair. God, I don't understand some things sometimes. I'm like the, you know, the psalmist David. I don't always get it. I don't always understand it. God, something don't add up here. Lord, I know my loved one passed away, and, and, but it still hurts on this side of heaven. Lord, my, I've been battling sickness, and, and I'm so glad to see Sister Jennifer's back. But obviously you saw she wasn't playing or singing today because she's still on week number two of the, you know, whatever she has. It won't let go. It's better than salvation. It won't let you go. It's, uh, I mean, it's just great. It just holds on. She's been coughing everything up. She knows the man. And I thought to myself, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be so eloquent. Sometimes it just has to be, okay, God, this ain't, this ain't right. Just like Michael's little, this ain't right. That's not how that goes. Sometimes we got to talk to God, God, I know what your word says. This is not right. Your word says you were wounded for my transgressions and bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace, when I, when I can't sleep because my mind's racing 100 miles per hour, God, that's not right because your word says that you give perfect peace on those whose minds stay on you. God, that's not right. I shouldn't be this restless. I'm sick in body. God, you know I've got jobs to do, and you know I've got things to do, and you know I want to work for the kingdom of God. You were wounded, but you were bruised and crushed. But, but the, by your stripes, the Bible says, I can be made whole. God, that's your word. I didn't say it. You said it. It's not that God is limited in ability or powerless. Sometimes it has to do how we ask it. Sometimes it just has to do how we ask. I fully believe that if I pulled a five-year-old out of children's church this morning and brought him in here and said, Micah, daddy's not feeling really good. I, don't, I feel kind of funny. I don't feel real good. Can you pray for me? I guarantee you he'll pray the sweetest prayer you'll ever heard in your life, and he'll believe 100% God can touch his little, his daddy's body because of his little prayer. Brianna would know this. Nobody else would know this. I had Micah on Christmas this year. Christmas Day, he got deathly ill. I mean, we were supposed to go to my aunt's on Christmas Eve night. I mean, he couldn't hold anything. He couldn't even hold water down. That's how bad it was. We couldn't even keep We tried Pedialyte. Before he could even get it halfway down, he was already losing it. You know what he said? Losing all of his lunch. We sat up all night holding him in a chair. My parents were down. We held him. Brian ended up coming the next day just because we couldn't leave the house. About 2 o'clock in the morning, he looked over there. My mom was sitting with him here. I was in this chair. Dad was... He was asleep, I guess. I don't know what he was doing. Michael looked up, weak as he could be. He said, Daddy. I said, Yes, son. He said, Can we pray to Jesus? Because he'll make my tummy feel better. That changed the world in that moment. No, I'm not, I'm not sat in the shoes that Jordy and them are sitting in right now with the uncertainty behind the two double doors. My dad's never had major surgery. I've sat with a lot of people in my career, and sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I don't understand why people go through what they go through. I remember just not too long ago on Thanksgiving Day, I sat in a nursing home facility and watched one of my own go meet Jesus. I don't get it. I don't. I'm just being honest with you this morning. I, I'm giving you all I got this morning. I'm just being honest with you. But as I laid there last night and thought about that time when Michael was sick, thought about Brandon telling me he messed up the prayer, I thought to myself, God, please don't ever let me lose my childlike faith. 
but I can be even 25 miles away or 30 miles away or 45 minutes away at 11.35 and Monk's Corner, and God, I can believe that you're in an OR because all I have to do is say the name of Jesus. I don't have to have a bunch of eloquent words. I just got to say, hey, Jesus, <laughs> something's not right here. Something doesn't make sense here. I remember a conversation. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for this. I remember a conversation I had with Katrina just a couple days ago. We were on Facebook Messenger, and she said, Pastor, I was telling her, I said, we've been missing you at church. And she said, Pastor, I've been battling some sickness since January. I just can't get rid of this thing. And I'm glad she's here this morning. I look over this whole congregation. I think there's many times I don't, there's been many of you that went through things. I didn't have a clue why God let you walk through it, why you're going through what you're going through. But if I came by to tell anybody anything before we get into this message, I just want somebody to be reminded. I don't have to have all the right words. And I don't have to have all the theological answers for you. I will tell you that I do have one answer. His name is Jesus. That's all I got for you. I mean, you, you, that's all you need. You don't need my psychology degree. You don't need my, you know, sometimes hugs are nice. And sometimes crying with you is nice. But you, those are only temporary fixes for the moment. But there's somebody, a name that is above every name. He can do things I can't ever do. And I think that we in the church world, I'm not talking about just this church. I, I mean universally when I say this. We have lost that childlike faith that April I don't have to call the doctor and get on 12 different prescriptions if that's what I need to do then so be it but I can lay there in that bedroom and I can just say if I nothing else if I can just muster the name Jesus five letters I may not be able to call Randy Erzberger and tell him I'm not feeling good I'm going to be late if I can just lay there and say Jesus the Bible says that every tear that falls from my eyes they're a language God understands and in utterances and groanings, the Holy Spirit will pray on my behalf if I have the Holy Spirit living and working in my life. Andrew, I don't always have to have, know what to say. If I get Jesus out, that's all I got to get out. I don't have to say, now I lay me down to sleep. I just got to say Jesus. I get that much. I'm good. That's it. We started talking about, spoiler alert, leading up to Easter. Here's what the Bible says. I'm just going to read the same scripture that I read last week to you. This is the law of the house upon the top of the mountain. The whole limit thereof round about shall be most holy. And behold, this is the law of the house. Next slide for me, please. These are the measurements of the altar. The cubit is a cubit and a hand breadth. Bottom shall be a cubit. The breadth of cubit and the border thereof by shall. Next slide for me, please. The edge around about be a span. This shall be the highest of the altar. This shall be the higher place of the altar. I told you last week, the problem I think we're facing in the world today is we've torn down too many altars and not built them back up. I started a message with you talking about the unseen hand, and I gave you all these measurements. The cubit, we talked about the unseen hand. We talked about the span, how in that span, that the Bible says our life is just like that. It's a span in God's hand, just very... In, the hand breadth. We talked about the cubit being 18 inches and the amab, the mother part of the arm. And we talked about how they would use it as measurements and they would put their arms straight down like that to, to measure. We talked about last week about the power of a touch of a hand. 
Remember I told you a story of a guy by the name of Naaman. Naaman said, I was expecting you to come out and wave your hand around me. And I told you there's too many people waiting for somebody to lay a hand on them or wave a hand on them when, when the hand is not, you're missing the wrong hand. The Bible said the cubit was a cubit and a handbreadth. And the cubit was how many hands? Six. But it said it had to have another hand, an unseen hand, a seventh. That was a seventh hand, God's hand. You can't, can't explain it. I shared with you last week, I said that Naaman said, I want the man's hand. I want the prophet of God. I want the man's hand to come lay. I want you to put that oil on me and anoint a prayer cloth and lay me in the floor. I want the man's hand. And when God did it a different way, the Bible said Naaman got mad. I ain't doing it. I'm not, man of God said go bathe in that nasty river. I ain't doing it. The servant convinced him to go. Remember, the, the altar had to be built. A cubit, six hands, breadths, and an extra hand, seven. The prophet of God said you had to go down into the Jordan River seven times. I believe he might have went down the first six and thought, I'm done with this. What is one more dip going to do? But lo and behold, one more dip did surely change his life in the course of history. God want me to tell you something that God does. <laughs> I rode into church this morning thinking about that. Last night, Brother Chris, this was the God's honest truth. My hand to heaven. Jordy can testify to this. The doctors can I promise my hand to heaven, this is not a lie to y'all. Y'all know how many stents I put in, they put in him last night? Seven stents. I swear, I promise you. My hand to heaven, that doctor walked out and said, well, I had to put seven stents in tonight. And I thought to myself, yeah, you did put seven in. There was another hand in that OR. Now, you may not felt anything, but I'm telling you, I already rolled, rolled into church this morning half asleep, half drunk. I don't know what I was. I don't even know if I, I don't even remember seeing red lights this morning. I don't know. I might have ran them all. I don't even remember. But I'm telling you, when I was driving and I was thinking of the sermon this morning, how we're gonna, I thought to myself, God, the altar had to be seven handbreadths cubit and a handbreadth and Naaman had to dip seven times there's no feeling in the bottom of brother David's legs there was no blood flow there was nothing but the Bible tells us and so we sing it around here all the time songs tell us that the blood will never lose its power and there's something about the blood of Jesus see there was no blood flow when we looked at those x-rays and those cat scans there was absolutely nothing in the bottom of there there was no pulse they even when they opened him up there was no pulse there was nothing we couldn't get anything it was not looking good and when that doctor came out he said well I got blood flow again and he said and I had to put some stents in and Miss Darlene said well, how many did she put in he said seven I couldn't wait to get to my car I thought I thought yeah I know how blood got through there it was you went just seven stents because God had an unseen hand that walked in that OR room and put every stent where it needed to go so that the blood, yeah I know it's physical blood but what they didn't know was the blood of Jesus Christ had walked into that hospital OR room, had a doctor on standby that was the right doctor that makes the stents and had the right hands and while that surgeon is doing his hands there was an unseen hand guiding his hands all the way through putting one, two, three four, five, six, seven and all of a sudden blood started flowing again and he came out of that thing and I, I don't know what's going to happen now but I'm telling you there is something about an unseen hand when you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say it might be the scariest moment you ever face in your life and you may not sure you're going to ever come out of this trial that you're in but I'm telling you if you just lay down they gave him that anesthesia and knocked him out I'm telling you if you just lay before the Lord sometimes in a prayer room or you lay in an altar or you lay on a bed side somewhere or you just get into a prayer and meditation with the Lord and you say God I'm going to sleep to sleep like I've never slept before and I'm going to commit it and put 
put it into your hands and into your charge. I'm telling you, there's an unseen hand that'll do things behind the scene. I can't go into an OR room. I can't make it work. But there's another surgeon went into that hospital room and saved his life at that moment. Seven stints. I can't make that stuff up. Seven of them. Seven stints. That's the power of touch. Now I want to preach to you just for a few moments. Thank you, Ms. Carol. I won't make you play the whole time. You sound great, though, by the way. If I get real excited, just give me those dring type stuff. You know, help me go a little bit. Give me that energy. It's either that or Red Bull. We'll figure out one here in a minute. There's something about the touch of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you the next part of this story that we started last week. Is there something about hands that make them so unique? See, I shared with you last week, if you remember the conclusion, I had Brother Randy and Brother Larry come beside me, and I held their hands, and I said, I love these men. They're my, they're my right-hand men. They're beside me. They support me. They keep me grounded. They helped me. Brother Randy, last night, do you need me to come get you? Do you want me to take you? Do you want me to ride? Do you need me to go? I was like, no, you stay home. You take care of Miss Carol. I'll be fine. But when she walks into the room, she grabs my hand. I don't care, what, I don't care which one of y'all's hands hold Y'all are nice people. Y'all are cool people. I love y'all to death. But her hand feels a whole lot different in my hand than your hands in my hand. Not that I don't love you, but it ain't the same. There's something about the power of touch, but I want to talk to you about another part of your hand. Hands have a grip. When one joins a fellowship in the church, we always like to do in the church of God what is known as the right hand of fellowship. There is nothing, Brother Chris, more pathetic than a limp handshake. I almost wish you only put your hand in my hand if you're going to be limp about it. Like, like just don't control anything. I don't want you to break my hand, but I like a good, nice, firm, just connection there, grip. Can I tell you that one thing about a grip? See, in life, there are going to come points in our lives Brother Corey, that we feel like we're about to fall off life's proverbial cliff or edge. We're going down. The ship's sinking. The Titanic's going down. We're on it, and we ain't getting off, and we're all going down. If I go, and I see in life, I'm using proverbial speech here, that someone is sinking or they're drowning. The Bible talks about helping your brother in need. If I were on the top of a cliff, Andrew, you come here for a second. If I was over the edge of a cliff, dangling, I'm going to have you stand up there so they can see you. You look prettier than I do today. If I'm at the bottom and I'm, 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 I'm going to fall, and Andrew's going to grab my hand so I don't fall down into the Grand Canyon, I don't want him to hold my hand right here. You know why? Because eventually I'm going to lose my grip. I'm going to slip. And I'm going to fall. Now this seems like, you know, it's pretty good. You know, I got a pretty good grip on it. But what's going to eventually happen is my body weight's going to pull at him. And we're going to hold and eventually we're going to get to the fingertips. And before long I'm not going to be able to sustain the weight. And I'm going to be gone. It's the same way in life. There are sometimes we're trying to hold each other up like this. Knowing good well that at any moment we're going to fall through the cracks. That's why people get lost in church. That's why people come to church and somehow fall through the cracks. It's because eventually they, somebody lost the grip. 
with God and with themselves and with each other. But one of the things that they'll tell you, if you're, if you're needing somebody to pull you up, is to grab them right here on this bone and hold on for dear life. And what they'll tell you is you put both hands like this, and what will eventually happen is he'll, whether it's the weight of him laying down on the ground, he'll literally just pull me up to the top because he's got a firm grip on me. See, what I love about the Lord is there are sometimes that my hand, stay there one second, there are sometimes my hand gets tired from life's weariness. I can't make it. See, now if I'm holding on to the Lord like this, if I let go of the Lord because things are just getting too hard for me, I'm gone. But the Bible says the Lord won't let me fall. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I may want to let go. God, I can't do this anymore. God, I can't make it anymore. God, I'm just so tired. I'm so weak. I'm so, I may want to let go. But you know what? When I give to the Lord and the Lord puts his hand, he don't hold it the other way. He holds me like this. Do you know what happens? Because when I get tired and say, God, I can't make it. But when I let go, <laughs> come on, somebody. Act like you've been to church more than once in your life. When I let go, there is somebody that hasn't let me go. Can I tell you this morning, thank you. Can I tell you this morning that I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. But I'm telling you, even if there are times in your life you feel like you can't make it another step. And you can't go another moment. And you might feel like you've lost your grip. I'm telling you, there's an unseen hand that's not going to let you fall. That's not going to let you be destroyed. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise a standard up against him. I want to remind somebody this morning that God's got a firm grip on you. And if he called according to his purpose he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the very end and if you are a child of God no matter how bad it gets there's someone still holding your hand we must hold on to God's unchanging hand there's a hand that still's got us in the palm and the grip of his grace now you hold that hand on purpose for a specific reason you don't want to fall see I love how the Bible talks about hope grace and mercy because sometimes in our lives we can't hold on much longer but God never gets tired and weary and even when my arm gets tired God gets stronger how do you figure preacher because the Bible said when I am weak that's when he is strong Sometimes the best thing to do is to be weak so that we rely on the strength of the Lord because that is a strength that we cannot duplicate, replicate, or can even come into close competition with. There is something about, we sing it right here all the time, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. You are my strength, strength like no other, strength like no other. It reaches to me. Why? Because there is something about the hand of God you cannot understand or replicate. God will not let you go. The Bible says anything we put in his charge and commit to him, they're like vials. Our prayers are like vials stored up in heaven. The Bible says anything we commit to the Lord, the Lord don't throw it out the window and say, well, I'll, if they need it, I'll try to go back in the back of the shed somewhere and dig it out under the rubble. No, no, no. Anything you commit to God and you put in his care God's going to take care of it he's going to make sure it's taken care of the Bible tells us that even I may die and sleep the sleep of death but the prayers I have prayed will outlive me even when I'm gone to eternity God will not forget a prayer I've ever prayed God will never forget a fast I've ever fasted God will never forget anything I put into his care God will always remember everything that I have laid at his feet there's a story in the Bible in the book of Kings a prophet by the name of Elijah Elijah is faced with a task 
It's a drought. Land has seen no water. The Bible says he goes, the nation is split. Some are on God's side, and some are on the other side. The Bible says that literally it got to the point that the nation was so divided that they were going to have a showdown on a mountain called Mount Carmel. There at Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal show up against one man. That's pretty bad odds. 450 to 1 is not ever a good odd. Bible says Elijah knows that wicked Ahab and wicked Jezebel hates his guts. He's standing there. Now, I would like to tell you that, man, what a tragedy of this is. A nation split, the people of God split and, and, and confused. And the people of God in disarray and the church of the living God just, just you know, not knowing the nation of God, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Man, what a, what a, what a, what a devastating thing. Wow, you know. The only part about it is I can't judge them too quickly. Because the Bible says don't judge the speck in your brother's eye when you have a whole lumber yard in your own. Because we live in a nation that is split and divided. It used to be racial injustices. That was the big movement for a while. Now it's calling people in terms of binary and gender terms. Who's a male? Who's a female? Who's it? She, they, them. Competitions of men biologically still not even having any kind of change of bio, biological uh, uh, anatomy, human anatomy, still biologically male, competing in women's sports and women's events and winning at an alarming rate and clips and setting records and changing in women's locker rooms just because they say they feel like that's what they are now. I shared with you on Wednesday night, those of you that are here, I went to a place in Arizona called Horseshoe Bend and coming down, there was, one dress, there was someone dressed up in a tuxedo. Nice tugs. One dressed in a wedding dress, but they were of the same gender. They're getting married. But that is their backdrop. See, I can't judge Israel too much because our nation's in turmoil and in disarray. No matter what political aisle you set on, it's really between you and the Lord. But I'm telling you right now, we're not the nation under God like we used to be. You take it and leave it for what it's worth. I'm not here to preach politics, but I am here to preach Jesus. I'm going to tell you something I told you at last election, and I have stood by this. This has been my motto. I don't put my trust in a donkey, and I don't put my trust in an elephant, but I promise you I'll put my trust in a lamb all day long. You can put it in a donkey. You can put it in an elephant. You can put it in a leaf for all I care, but I'm going to trust a lamb. Because my Bible says that there's a lamb from the tribe of Judah. A lion from the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God. I'm telling you, I've never seen one time he's lost anything, so I'm going to stick with him. He's got a pretty good track record. The nation is split. More of the nation of Israel is against the Lord and confused and don't know what they want to do versus those who know the Lord. Boy, don't that sound like America. There's so many people confused of what they want to be when they grow up, who they are, what they are, where they are. There seems like there's a whole lot more of them than there are of us. Hello, preacher. 
I'm preaching good even if you are acting like you're sleepy. Look, if I'm persevering, y'all can persevere with me. Come on now. Elijah says, you guys can start first. They prepare the sacrifice. These 450 prophets, they get up there. They do their hoopalooza. They get lunchtime. Elijah's like, I think God must be asleep. He's making fun of them. They're dancing and doing all kinds of stuff. The Bible says, don't miss what happens in this story. The Bible says that when it came time in the middle of the afternoon for Elijah to turn, they finally gave up and said, well, then you're so good, you do it. The Bible does something they didn't do. The Bible said before Elijah even did anything, he had the sacrifice prepared. He cut it up into 12 pieces and all that stuff represent the tribe of Israel. But the Bible says, go back and read it. He rebuilt an altar. Go read it. It's in the Bible. I just read to you about we have to, the highest place needs to be the altar. The Bible said he went and got stones and he built a homemade altar. Right there in the middle of the ground. Just kept lining it. Put the sacrifice on top of it. They're in a drought. You know when you're in a drought, what is a precious commodity? Water. You want to know how to tick somebody off? Waste it. <laughs> like, I'll chop you in your throat. What's wrong with you? The Bible says he goes and asks them to go get pots of water. This is a rare commodity, y'all. This is like gold, liquid gold, if you will. He starts pouring it over the sacrifice. Well, nobody's going to drink the water after it's been over a mutilated, butched up, butchered up dead carcass of an animal. He does the first bucket, Brother Mary, and he said, now go get me another one. By this point, some people are probably like, blood boiling, like, you've got to be kidding me. We are wasting water over this stupidness. What is wrong with him? They're getting agitated. He keeps pouring water. The Bible said he poured so much water on it that the ground was saturated. The, the sacrifice was so wet. Have you ever smelled a, a, a wet animal? You better hope that it's the Lord. That will take your breath away. It is saturated the rocks are saturated. The Bible said he dug a trench. That's how much water. Dug a trench around the altar and had water around the trench of the altar. He's got so much water, it ain't even funny anymore. See, everybody else thought he was wasting water. Let me fast forward you to the book of John. The Bible says this. Jesus told his disciples, he said, sitting at a well, I think it's around John chapter 4, at a woman in Samaria. He's sitting at a well, and she said, I... I, I, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And she said, well, you know, okay. And, and, and how are you going? He said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink. You'd give me some water out of this well. She said, well, my father Jacob, my grandfather Jacob dug this well. And you don't even have a bucket to get. How are you going to give me this? And Jesus said, I, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask him for a drink from the well of living water. And she's like, but how are you going to get it out? Jesus said, I am the living water. He said, listen, go call your husband. He, he goes through the whole thing, and he tells her that he is the living water. See, what Elijah knew is before you can have the fire of God to fall, you got to make sure God's altar is back in its right position. He rebuilt the altar. But in Scripture, Jesus represents water, the, the living water, the, 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 the Word, if you will. Washed by, the Bible talks about we have to be washed by the Word. Jesus said, I am the Word. I am the, the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Washed by the Word. That means the water. It represents Jesus. So you got the altar rebuilt. you got... The representation of Jesus himself in, in form of water all over this sacrifice. The sacrifice is something I brought to the Lord. The Lord didn't necessarily just make it happen. I had to bring something. I had to give up something. I had to give up some of my time. I had to give up some of my energy. I had to give up a meal. I, I sacrificed something for me and Jesus in this moment. The Bible says that then he began to pray. All of a sudden the heavens split fire whoosh, 
came down from the portals of glory, caught this sacrifice. It got so hot, it, it burned the sacrifice. You see, one of the things is when you cook, though, it might smell nasty and rotten and fishy, and, but once you start cooking it, it becomes savory smelling. You're like, hmm, that smells pretty good. You know, roasted, you know, roasted meat or whatever. It's like, man, that smells good. That stuff in that smoker is beginning to smell pretty good now. The Bible says that our worship, our praise, is like a sweet, savory incense <laughs> to the nostrils of the Lord. It catches fire. It gets so hot, the sacrifice burns. The water all around it gets licked up. This thing shouldn't even have caught fire, much less stayed burning. Licked up all the water around it and got so hot that it burnt the rocks that was on the altar. Now that is some hot fire. You go back and research, it takes a really big heat of fire to, to, to scorch a rock. And it caught. The Bible says they chase him down, they destroy the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah, which was 480. I mean, excuse me, 800, sorry, 450, 400, 850 prophets that were involved to one man. One man. But the fire would have never failed at that church service had not at least one person in that service say, but the altar's messed up, somebody needs to fix it. Listen to what I just said. Don't miss the importance of this story. We want Pentecostal circles. Oh, we've lost the power and presence of Pentecost. Oh, we don't see the Holy Ghost moving like he did anymore. Oh, we don't see people running and speaking in tongues and jumping out. That's great. You know why? Because the altars aren't right. Hello? You can go to churches now, can't even find an altar, must less build one. Hello, preacher. You got people sitting in pews and got people sitting in chairs all across this nation. They don't even know how to turn around and kneel at their own pew and make it an own personal altar. That's how spiritually delinquent, if you will, they are. We want the power and the presence of God's spirit to fall, but God's looking from heaven going, but who's going to replace and fix the altars that have been broken? Who's going to metaphorically go to the altar and put it back together and then ask my son, the water, the living water, to come and make himself known. Who's going to make sure the altar's right so that the fire of God can consume everything in the building? Because he's not going to consume it if the altars are in shambles. He's just not. The Bible tells us that greatest victory of all time at that point. It's incredible. Jezebel gets so mad she threatens his life. A man who just literally called fire from heaven. He's now running from his life from one woman. Scared as all get out. He had just called supernatural fire. He could have just looked at her and said, die. And she probably would have fell over dead. That's what I would have done first. I would have tried that first. That didn't work. Then I would have ran. I would have at least tried. I mean, like, be gone, Jezebel. And just, like, wow. I would have tried that first. Not him. Just saw the greatest thing of all time. And he runs because he's afraid of one person. See, the devil knows what our weak spots are. And sometimes when we come out of the greatest victories of our lives, he doesn't always just send the whole arsenal of hell. Sometimes he just sends that one special person in our life and destroys every victory we just overcome. He just takes it from us like that. And we all have that one person. Don't say you're not like you're more spiritual than I am. We all have that one person who you know good and well, and they walk into the room, you, your whole demeanor changes. 
blood pressure changes. You don't even have to have a blood pressure cuff on. You already know it's high. You already know. You feel, your watch is going, telling you your stress levels at all times. They just said hello, and you're like, oh. you know it. Some of y'all are sitting by them right now. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. We all have these moments. The prophet of God then tells his servant after he's run, all this has happened. Servant of the Lord. He said, I want you to go and look out of the edge of that cliff and tell me what you see. The servant says, I see nothing. He sends his servant back and forth to the edge of this cliff six times. He sees nothing. They're still in a drought, y'all. Prophet of God gets down on the seventh time. Don't miss the power of seven, y'all. Prophet of God gets down the seventh time. Lord, I prayed the same prayer six times. I am tired of praying this prayer. I can almost repeat it before I get down here. Don't miss the power of seven with all these other stories. Naaman, and the altars. This time, though, he doesn't get up. He stays there and he just tells his servant. Will you go look at the cliff this time? But he doesn't move. His posture does not change. See, in all the other accounts, he's, he's asked the servant, check it. But this time, he remains in the posture of prayer. He stays in the posture of God's presence. He stays in the posture of the power of God. He sends him. The servant goes thinking, I, you know, I don't know about him, but I know what I'd be thinking. Like, good Lord, man, I got my steps in for today. Why am I going back out here again? How many times I'm going to go out here and check this stupid thing? Y'all, let me tell you what happens. Go back and read this. This is the true story. This is in the Bible. This is what the story says. He stands over the cliff. At first, he doesn't see anything. But all of a sudden, the clouds start shifting. Now, I, didn't pick, I didn't pick that picture up there out of happenstance. For you Bible scholars, the Bible said all of a sudden, there was a cloud that appeared like a, anybody remember? Man's hand. He walks back to the prophet of God. He said, you're not going to believe it. I ain't seen a cloud in the sky. But there is an unusual cloud today. I've never seen it. It looks like a hand. <laughs> Remember what the prophet of God said? He said, son, well, you better put on your Air Jordans and learn how to run, buddy. There's rain coming. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. What do you mean, prophet of God? We haven't seen rain in three and a half years. We ain't seen rain in nowhere. He said, I'm telling you, son, you see that hand. It's in that cloud. That's not any old cloud, boy. You need to go tell Air, you need to go tell Ahab. He better get his chariot and make it ready. And he better get on down to Jerusalem so he don't get caught in this thing. And the Bible says they tell Ahab's on a chariot pulled by drawn by horses. But the prophet of God tucks his little garment between his legs. The prophet of God says he the Bible says he tightened his belt and he outran horses, y'all. Y'all know how fast a horse runs? That's pretty fast. An old man. Loads up and, and, and girds up his loins and he takes off running and he's running. He passes the man of God, passes the, the king and he's a running. And the Bible said it was the sound of an abundance of rain. Can I tell you? He prayed seven times, but all of a sudden, when nobody else could see it and nobody thought it was possible, out of the bleakness and out of the darkness, there came a hand that portaled out of the heavenlies and came down and started changing the atmosphere. Can I tell you? When we go back to the altars and we repair the altars and we make sure it's all right, when we leave. 
least expect it while somebody's still in the posture of prayer and while somebody's still in the presence of the Lord and while somebody's still fasting and interceding. I don't care if it's tried in hospital. I don't care if it's Roper downtown. There can be something going on in the heavenlies and all of a sudden a hand can come out from among the clouds and start raining into the OR and start raining over the marriage and start raining over the church and we can hear the sound of an abundance of rain. The Bible said the latter rain shall be greater than the former rain. I come by to tell somebody there's still a sound of rain coming in this last days. You make your way. He said the size of a man's hand. And all of a sudden the heavens opened up and it poured rain. What I tell you, Jesus represented what, what was one of the symbolisms water. When the altar gets made right and repaired, and the sacrifice we bring to him, we bring, we sing something, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we bring it to the Lord in his divine time. That may not be seven identical, but in his divine time, he'll split the sky with his hand. He'll part the waters of our life's Red Sea. He'll part the clouds. He'll roll, the old song says, he'll roll the clouds like a scroll. He'll roll them back. His hand will come down and the spirit of the Lord will reign. Sing it all the time around here. Holy Spirit, rain down. Let your voice be heard. Let your power be heard. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts as we stand here. I mean, just the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, rain down. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome. We always talk about the, the rain. I feel the rain. The former and the latter rain. I'm not talking about the weather. It's the former and the latter rain together. It's the Holy Ghost rain. It's following me all about that. People have written songs about this. But we're never going to see it in its fullness until we repair what's been broken. See, some folks come to church, they're already broken altars because the Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some people walk in church, they're broken already. They got a bad home life, they got a bad marriage, their kids are driving them nuts, their family's in disarray, they've got stress on their body, whatever it may be. They're already broken people walk in. But the Bible says, just like that potter, he'll put us on the wheel and he'll mold and make us and fix us. But you sometimes got to go to the altar and say, okay, God, let me rebuild it. Rebuild my life, rebuild my family, rebuild my home, rebuild my church, re rebuild it. Help me rebuild, Lord. And then let your spirit just rain down. So here's what I want to tell you before we close today. The Bible says that if I make my beds in the heavens, Lord, you're there. But if I also made my bed in hell or Sheol, in some translations, the Bible says you also are there. God is a God of grace and mercy. He gives strength in time of weakness. So I want to tell somebody this morning before we pray this. See, for some of us, Brenna, you come here. Andrew, you come back to here for me. Some of us have been holding God's hand like this. Now, when you first get saved, you're so in love with Jesus, you can't help it. I mean, you just, you grinning from ear to ear, falling in love with Jesus, the best thing you've ever done. I mean, it's amazing. You get so excited. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, same thing. You, whoo, you're on like a cloud nine. You just walk with Jesus. You and Jesus walking in the cool of the day. Y'all just going to town. You love to have the time of your life. Sometimes your hands, while we love the touch of God, 
Sometimes, even though we're touching God, sometimes we get tired. Exhausted. Um, we're here last night. I got home, got in the bed. I was so exhausted, you know, just from the time. I mean, it's, it's great when we're holding hands. I mean, I, I love her to death. But there are sometimes I'm just like, she's tired. She better hold on to me because I'm out. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just done. See, but when I'm weak, the Bible says I'm strong. See, sometimes we love to touch, but sometimes the touch is just not enough because life's going to throw me some hard days, some difficult journeys, and some difficult obstacles. And while the touch is good, and I can get a touch on Sunday morning, shout out, like, whoa, thank you, Jesus. But Monday comes. Anybody ever had Sunday's blessing and then Monday's mayhem? <laughs> Anybody? I'm the only one? Okay, I'm, also, I'm the only one unsaved in here. Okay, I got it. Thank you. I got the showers of Sunday, and then I got the mayhem of Monday. It's like, God, I was just in a Holy Ghost filled service. You were pouring it. God, it was the best day of my life. And then all hell breaks loose. The touch was great on Sunday. But I ain't there in the altar anymore, and the pastor ain't loading me up like he's about to fry me with some Crisco in my, on my face. I'm, I, I've called the pastor. I've texted the pastor, but I'm not in that altar in that prayer line on Sunday anymore. I'm, I'm kind of on my own. That touch was good, but I'm drowning. Remember when Peter was walking on water and he drowned? I don't think Jesus got him out of the water like this. Grab Peter so he wouldn't sink. See, the difference is some of us have been holding on to God like this. And that's great if that's all you've known so far. But now you've got to step into the water and wade out a little bit deeper. Because when you're scared, when you first get in the water and you're scared, you hold on to somebody like this. Oh, this is kind of cold. It's kind of cold. But if you wade out a little bit further and the waves start hitting you, this don't work anymore because the wave might knock your hand out. So when you get real scared, you know what you start doing? Don't let me drown, Drew. Don't, Drew, don't let me drown. I can't swim. I don't think I can swim. You hold on for dear life. You know why? Because at that moment, you don't want to go down. The devil's going to come at you with an all-out arsenal of assault, wave after wave after wave. He's going to crash you like you've never seen crash before. The touch is good, but some of us have got to get to the next level. we got to hold on to the grip of God's grace. There's going to be times in your life you don't understand it, but God's grace has held you. The only reason you haven't hit rock bottom, the only reason you haven't been to hell and back yet, and the only reason you're still here is because God's grace has held you this long. You may not have been able to hold on to Him, but He's been holding on to you. Because if you hold on to Him like this, you're eventually going to let go. But you, some of us here, need to remember what it's like. we got to get back to God. we got to hold on to God. We say, God, even if I let you go, don't you let me go, God. Don't let me sink, God. We have got to hold on to the grip his grace as you stand all over the house this morning I'm going to ask this one time one time only because I know you're ready to go with your head bowed and your eyes closed I'm going to simply ask this question you say pastor this message spoke directly to my heart this message was for me to be reminded of some things in my life and I'd like for you to remember me in this prayer that is you. I just want you to slip your hand up. You don't have to tell me the need. Yes, there's one. Yes. Any others? You say, Pastor, just will you pray for me? Yes. 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 That's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. You can do this however you feel comfortable. It'll take about five minutes and then we're out of here. 
Don't worry, Gilligan's is not sold out of food yet. You're going to make it, I promise. But I want you to take the next three minutes or so. You can come up here if you want to. I know the hands that were lifted. I'm not going to bring you out and embarrass you. Whether it's at your seat, whether it's up front, will you take the next three minutes and will you and God make an altar together wherever you are? You and God. Build an altar together, whether it's need to be rebuilt or maybe you just, will you and God just have a moment? Wherever you are, you can sit at your seat, you can kneel down, you can come up front. But for the next few moments, can we make an altar to God? Can we just talk to the Lord? There's a lot of people who need some things. Whether it's people in sickness and health, whatever it may be, there's a lot of people, they, if, even if they, even if we don't need anything, there's a lot of people who need an altar on their behalf because they're facing some things. Maybe they don't even know how to build their altar. They need it. So you just take a moment, wherever you are, just you and God, whether you sit, whether you kneel, whether you stand, just take about three minutes or so. And when you and God talk, just talk to each other. Just, Lord, we come to you right now. We make this an altar of worship to you. God, this is our moment with you. There are so many men and women who need a touch from the Lord. God, we know what's going on in our own church, but God, there are so many others who are feeling the weight and the effects and the struggle of what's going on in this world. Father, I'm praying that, God, there are some today they need to not lose faith, to lose hope. They need to be hold on to the grip of God's grace. Don't let them sink. Don't let them drown. Don't let them fall through the cracks it may not be easy it may not be Lord the road that they would have chosen but God in this moment they have got to have some hand holding on to them that even when they are tired and weary it will not let them go Father these men and women under the sound of my voice and those that are not here for whatever reason They need the Lord to intervene in situations. God, whether it's in sickness, in marriages, in families, they need a touch from the Lord. Father, I am asking in this moment that you would make yourself so known and so real to us. Father, thank you for your presence we have felt in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we pray our benedictory prayer, I want us to have a special prayer. Just received a text message that they've had some other things going on in the hospital, so they're not able to do the surgery right now. They're going to give... Jordy's dad some more time to let the blood flow get through his legs because at this moment there's still no feeling in his lower extremities he can't move them can't feel them they said it could take some time due to how long the blood has been out of his system or it could be a spinal cord issue with the nerve damage from all of this from what happened it's just a wait and see thing at this moment in hopes that everything comes back to normal. I don't accept that report. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right now. I don't accept it. And you can say, well, Pastor, you're being naive. Naivety is going to you know, bite you in the long run. Well, you can think what you want to. 
I don't care if it's a spinal cord issue or a blood flow issue. I believe feeling can get restored in that body. I don't care what the I don't care what they put on the paper. Uh, they can put anything they want to on the paper. I just want them to be like, well, the blood flow started working. Okay, great. Or they say, well, the, the, the spinal cord reverse that. You can put anything you want to on the paper, but I'm going to know how it happened. you got to tell me. I know how it happened. So before we just do our benedictory prayer, I want to pray. I don't know if it'll be instantaneous, if it'll be tonight, it'll be tomorrow, but I am not leaving this place without believing God's going to show one more time He's God and tell everybody else, y'all can say whatever you want to, but I'm the final say-so in this thing. I believe he can restore not only blood flow but restore life to those legs and those extremities now if you have doubt and you think well pastor I, I don't know you know science says and medical science says and the journals say if you got doubt do me a favor don't pray get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and check your local stat. If you got any doubt, please don't pray. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh. I just don't need you to hurt in the prayer. I need you to just be willing to say, hey, pastor, I'm a woman or man enough to admit I, don't, I, I have doubts. Great. Okay. Don't pray. But don't hurt the rest of us who are going to believe God for a miracle. I've seen too many miracles happen just in this church alone that, that you can't tell me God don't work. You, know, you just can't convince me of that. So we're going to pray. I'm not praying generic. Oh, Lord, just give him peace it surpasses all I'm praying God I need restored legs I'm praying specific this time not not generic specific we'll pray about heart surgeries when they come up whenever they decide to do it right now I'm praying for legs after legs I'll worry about hearts after hearts I'll worry about strength after that I'll worry about peace one thing at a time I'm praying specific today right now legs is the issue so let for those that will be willing let's pray together Heavenly Father your word says that you are the great physician and your stripes give us healing. So God, right now in the solemnness and secrecy of this moment, show yourself to be real and evident. I need you to walk into a room where David Roselle is laying or sitting. And I need you to begin to restore feeling in a body. I need legs to start working. I need blood flow not only to be flowing. I don't care if it's blood flow issues, spinal cord issue, whatever it is. God, I need you to reverse the curse. And I need you to walk in there and make sure blood is flowing. Make sure legs are feeling tingling sensations. Toes can wiggle. Legs can shift and move. People can stand up on their own power without assistance. God, I don't care if it happens instantaneous or if you have to wait till this afternoon or this evening. Whatever the right time is for you. But I am not asking you to just consider it. I'm asking the Bible said if two or three agree is touching any one thing. You are in the midst. Your word says we must pray specific. Pray, you know, prayers of faith and, and petitions of faith that we believe God's able to move mountains and speak to the mountain to be removed from here to yonder. So this is our mountain today, Lord. We need you to walk into that room and begin to do what only you can do. I don't care what medicine is prescribed on the, on the chart. I know there's a God in heaven that can prescribe medicine that no man can give and no man can take away and can change the trajectory of the prognosis in that hospital room. So God, right 
now I am believing you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend according to your riches in Christ Jesus and we commit it to you because we know that there's no other name under heaven and earth this can be done but it's the name of Jesus it's an all powerful name it's a glorious name it's a name that never fades away it's a name that's power will never be limited but it's a name that will always transcend time space and history and be the name that transcends all of human the course of human history and still be as effective as the first time it was mentioned God we speak the name of Jesus we speak life in the name of Jesus we speak hope in the name of Jesus we speak healing in the name of Jesus we speak it not in my name but in your name the name above every name the name of Jesus we speak these things into your care Father I don't want anybody else to get credit for this miracle but you I want you to amaze doctors, nurses surgeons and they say I don't know how to explain it we can Jesus Jesus I want no one else to get credit Lord I want you to be high and lifted up because when you are that's when you draw all men unto yourself it's the name of Jesus so, Father may you bless us and keep us you make your face shine upon us be gracious to us lift up your countenance towards us give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guards our heart and may the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts been acceptable and pleasing in your sight oh Lord our rock and our redeemer in Jesus name we pray and ask these things the people of God said amen before we pray our benedictory prayer don't forget services tonight at 6 p.m. and also Wednesday at 7 p.m as well. I'm going to ask Brother Randy Erchberger to pray our benedictory prayer as soon as he concludes this prayer. You feel free to fellowship with one another and be dismissed. God bless you. We love you. Brother Randy.